Oh, well, we're all a little skeptical. And that's what we've been talking about. We started last week. Sometimes we're skeptical by nature. Other times it's because something happens to us at some point in our lives that makes us to begin to question the things that up until that point we had always just assumed were true. We're all a little skeptical. Last week, and if you didn't catch last week, you want to go to our website or our app and get caught up on that so you have the full picture of what we're talking about here. But last week we talked about how very important it is to get comfortable with faith. Get comfortable with faith. Why? Because we can't know it all, we can't prove it all, we can't understand it all, especially when it comes to the big things in life. And so we are ultimately driven to faith. And we began and wrapped up last week with something that's very, very important for you to know, is that here at the summit, you need to know that you can belong before you believe. This is so important because this is the way it was with Jesus too. You can be long. He let people be long before they came to the point of believing. This is especially important. When we talk about what we're going to be talking about today, and that is how can we know that God exists? And like Eric said a few moments ago, we're going to be doing a Q&A towards the end of the service, and so you definitely want to stick around for that because that's interesting. We did it last week, and it was a lot of fun. So go ahead, get ready to ask a question on our app. It's at the top, and ask a question. And just keep the questions, if you can, focused on the topic of today. Uh, any questions about your mom, I will have to decline. Um, all right, because I don't, I don't know your mom. So anyway, let's keep the, if you give us some questions about what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes as they come to your mind, that'd be great. We'll get into this together because some of you are asking lots of questions about these kinds of things. This is like the, like the ultimate question. And so hopefully today will help. And, and maybe you're thinking, oh man, I, I believe this already. I believe God exists. Right, right. I, I, get, I get it. But let me tell you why this is so important for you. It's because you may not know why you believe it. And you may not know how you believe it. And you may not know how to talk about the reason why you believe it. And so it's not enough just to believe something. We want to know why we believe what it is we say we believe. So the question, does God exist? It's like the watershed question. Everything kind of falls one side or the other based upon how you answer this question. For people who say, yes, God exists, you conclude that and must believe that by faith. And for those who say, no, God does not exist, you must also conclude that and believe that by faith. You cannot scientifically prove that God exists. We talked about this last week. According to the scientific method, you cannot scientifically prove that God exists. However, you also cannot scientifically prove that God does not exist. You look at the evidence and you believe by faith one way or the other. Because in order to believe some, uh, prove something scientifically, we talked about how you had to be able to observe, observe it, which means see it, measure it, record it, and repeat it. You can't do that to the existence of God. You can't see God. You also can't do that to Abraham Lincoln. He's dead. And none of you cats were around when he was doing his thing, you know, the Civil War and all that kind of stuff. So scientifically, we can't prove scientifically. 
that Abraham Lincoln existed, although no one is doubting the existence of Abraham Lincoln. You realize that? You can't measure his existence, you can't record it, and you definitely can't repeat it because he's dead. Is that none of you here doubt Abraham Lincoln? Why? Because you look at the evidence. We've got all of this stuff in the history books. Yeah, but how do you know that's true? Somebody wrote that, right? Well, we got pictures. Well, how do you know that's him? He could have been short. Yeah, he could have wore white all the time instead of black. We really don't know. We weren't there, right? And so we look at the evidence, pictures and history books and all this kind of stuff, and we conclude by faith Abraham Lincoln exists. So look at the evidence. We're going to look at the evidence and make some conclusions about the existence of God to the best of our ability. And there's a ton, a ton, a ton of evidence out there. In order to prove that someone does not exist, you would have to be in all places at all time throughout all of history in order to say at all places in all time and throughout all history, nope, they don't exist, nope, they don't exist, nope, they don't exist, nope, they don't exist, and none of us can do that. And, and one more comment before we jump into the evidence. I believe the driving force behind people trying to prove that God does not exist, and I want you to consider this, is that if we, if people can prove that God does not exist, then they don't have to answer to him. Right? If there's no higher power, if there's no supreme divine being in the world that put us here for a reason and a purpose, then I, then I don't have to answer to the supreme higher power. So ultimately, that's what drives, whether people realize it or not, drives the pull to argue away God's existence. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at the evidence, and, and I want you to know that you can just look at the world around you, the universe. I mean, that's what the scriptures say. And I know some of you were saying, of course the scriptures would say that. I know, but let's just look at it, and then we're going to take it from there. King David said, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. So you can look up and you can learn so much. You can learn, yes, there must be a God. And yes, he is big and he is a Tar Heel fan because look at the color of the sky. I'm just saying, right? Let's go to the New Testament. Paul writes to the Romans, for ever since the world was created, people have seen, here it is again, the earth and the sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature, so they don't have an excuse for not knowing God. We can look up, we can look around, and be like, well, I didn't do this. You didn't do this. We're not responsible for this. If, and I know what some of you are thinking. Well, of course the Bible says that God exists. It's his book. That's self-supporting. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Then for the next few minutes, what we're going to do is talk about the evidences for God's existence that are not in the Bible. So let's look at the universe around us. We're gonna cover a lot of ground and it's gonna seem a little academic. We'll have some fun with it as we go. So you wanna listen fast, take notes fast, or take pictures fast, however you wanna do that. Let's start and then we will eventually get to the Q&A. Number one, look at the universe. You wanna know that God exists? Look at the universe. It's called the cosmological set of evidences. The cosmological cosmos, meaning Earth, Look at the universe, and the thinking goes like this. Since the universe obviously exists, right? And I don't think anybody's questioning that the universe 
exists. Since the universe obviously exists, it must have come from something or someone. It had to come from somewhere. Atheistic evolutionists suggest that the universe caused itself because the universe is eternal. That's what atheistic evolutionists suggest. However, their own scientific laws pose a problem. Let me give you two examples. Here's something you haven't heard in church, maybe ever. The phrase, second law of thermodynamics. Somebody just had a flashback and threw up in their mouth. Like, <laughs> like oh, what is that? Yeah, the second law of thermodynamics states basically, and this is, this is a basic definition, that things go from a state of order to disorder. Things go from a state of order to disorder, order to disorder. A clean room will eventually go to a messy room. A new car will eventually break down. It just happens. And if you don't believe it, just look in the mirror. <laughs> right? Okay, everything goes from a state of order to disorder. And this is true. This is true. We have observed this. You know what this suggests? That the universe must have had a beginning and eventually will have an ending. Everything goes from a state of order to disorder. And so the universe can't be eternal if it had a beginning and an ending. Here's something else to look at, the law of cause and effect. Just simply put the law of cause and effect. Every effect has a cause. This lets us know that the universe cannot be eternal. You know why? Because you cannot have an infinite series of causes. You ask the question, what caused the earth? Well, the Big Bang. Well, what caused that? Well, this. Well, then what caused that? Well, then you got these gases and these primordial soup, you know, atoms and neutrons. Okay, well, what caused that? Well, then, well, eventually you have to conclude that either the universe is eternal and caused itself or something else or someone else eternal caused the universe. You cannot have an infinite series of causes. Eventually, you have to have an uncaused cause that causes everything else. You with me so far? Okay, we're going somewhere. Just, just hang with me. You have to have an uncaused cause. Either the universe caused itself or God caused the universe, and all the evidence, the credible evidence, points to intelligent being causing it. Uh, this is what Albert Einstein said about it, by the way. My religion consists of a humble admiration of the illuminate superior, superior spirit. Uh, he didn't claim to be a Christian, to my knowledge. It's interesting. Who reveals himself in the slight details we are able to perceive with our frail and feeble minds. And then he goes on. That deeply emotional conviction of the presence of a superior reasoning power, which is revealed in the incomprehensible universe. So he's saying, when I look around and it's, oh, incomprehensible what I see, that helps form my idea of God. Einstein, bad hair, great mind. <laughs> number two, which kind of sets us up for number two. Does God exist? Let's look at the detail. Look at the design. It's called the teleological set of evidences or the teleological argument. The universe displays great design. And we know, now a lot of this, okay, we're not using the Bible. I'm not going to use the Bible even though the Bible supports this, okay, because the Bible's God's book and it's self-supporting. Let's just use some reason and logic. Here's what we all know. Empirically, by, by, by experience, we know. Design has to have a designer. Design, all design has to have a designer. A watch has to have a watchmaker. If you took all the parts of the watch, never mind asking where all those parts came from, but let's just say you just had all the parts of a watch, you put it in a brown paper bag, and you shook it up for like 10 billion years, 
and then sat it down for another 10 billion years, after 20 billion years, you would not expect to open up that brown paper sack and see a fully functioning watch. No, because a watch has to have a watchmaker. You can throw all the wood in a big pile and nails and screws and and metal and all this in a big pile and wait for 100 billion years and all of that material will not by itself form a building. Every building has to have an architect. Design has to have a designer. However, atheistic evolutionists suggest that the, the world that is obviously very complex kind of happened from a series of random chance, random, random processes. We're not quite sure why and how and when. It's kind of like by chance, but it just kind of happened this way. Sir Frederick Hoyle was a British astronomer in the 1970s and a self-proclaimed evolutionist. This is what he said. I love this quote. Believing life could result from chance is like believing a tornado could sweep through a junkyard. And the wind's a symbol of fully functional Boeing 747. (laughs) We laugh. Why do we laugh? That's absurd. That's absurd. Yet to suggest the much more complex than a 747 universe. Here we go. Here it is. We're not quite sure, but look at it go. No, the design begs a designer. The fine details of the universe. The fine details suggest something greater than chance. For instance, did you know that the ratio of carbon to oxygen in our atmosphere is perfectly set? And that if the ratio of carbon to oxygen were off on the side of oxygen or on the side of carbon, our air would not be breathable, which means our earth would be uninhabitable. Here's another one. If the Earth's axis is tilted, was tilted just a little bit more this way or that way, we would either freeze or burn up. Did you know that we are perfectly positioned away from the sun? If the Earth were any closer to the sun, we would burn up. If the Earth were any farther away from the sun, we would freeze to death. Yeah. Someone went to an awful lot of detail, seems the evidence points, to design meticulous design. All right, let's keep going. Let's look at morality. It's called the axiological set of evidences. Look at morality, which suggests there's a moral code within all cultures and all people, a moral code. It's just there. It's in me, it's in you, and it's in... This continent, it's on every continent from all people in all time, a moral code within all people. And you have to ask the question, where did the moral code come from? Isn't it odd just to think we just all pretty much agree that murder is wrong? Right? No one had to teach us that stealing, you can't, do, you can't take that from me. It's mine. Well, says who? Says what? Same people, all throughout the cultures, all throughout the world, all time in history, rape is unacceptable. All throughout history, being treated unfairly by another human being is not tolerated. You just can't go up to someone and slap them in the face. 
If you do, they're going to be like, hey, you can't do that. Says who? Says this inner moral code inside of all of us that just freaks out when things don't go the way we know they should. If you don't believe that there is an unwritten moral code innately within all of us, just watch an 18-month-old or a two-year-old. Watch them. Take the bottle away. See what they do. Take the pass away. See what they do. Or in our situation, I have a you know, 16-month-old grandson. You take the TV remote away. Or give him a remote without batteries. Because he knows if I point it at this thing, right, and I can push buttons and then stuff does stuff and it breaks and I have to give it to Pops and he fixes it, but he loves that, right? You, okay, it's time, Case, give me the... I mean, he loses it. Who taught him that? His grandmother. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's Mother's Day. Uh, sorry, I love you, babe. <laughs> Who taught him that? Nobody taught him that. You don't have to teach because it's an unwritten moral code, which suggests there has to have a moral agent somewhere. The evidence suggests there is a divine moral agent Thus, the offspring, the creation of that divine moral agent would have a moral code. Let's keep going. This one's a little bit more tricky. Look at the idea of God. It's called the ontological argument, which suggests that all cultures and people have the idea and the concept of God. And since all of us throughout all of history and in every culture and at every time period on every continent all of us, since we have the idea of God in our mind, in some way, shape, or form, and other people explain it in different ways, but we all have the concept of God in our minds, then God must rationally and logically exist outside of our minds because it's beyond coincidence that we all have the idea. All cultures, all people through all time, we all have the idea in our minds. So he must exist outside our minds. So where did the idea from God come from if God did not put it there? You say, well, we made it up. Okay, I, I get that. That's, that's a unique suggestion. But you're saying that many people made it up and have all agreed throughout all of history, all cultures, all continents. That's a big assumption. Big assumption. The evidence suggests much more logically that God put the idea of God. Blaise Pascal was a 17th century mathematician, and you've heard of Pascal. This is what Pascal said, that there is a God-shaped vacuum he has discovered, a God-shaped vacuum inside of all of us. In other words, there's a part of all of us that think thoughts that lead us to God that ask questions that we wonder about God. And ultimately, it is not coincidence that we ask and wonder and ultimately look up. In our own continent, the settlers that came to this continent, to this vast frontier, and encountered, here's just one example, and encountered the native Americans already living here. And what they encountered were tribes and groups of people who believed in a sun god, a sun power, 
a moon god, a wind god. They didn't have names for it, but the rain god. They looked around and realized, wait a second, there are forces and powers at work in the world that are not of us. So there must be some other power beyond us controlling it and dictating it and causing it all. You see, that right there is seen time and time and time and time again in third world situations and all throughout history. Hard to argue away. But there's one more. We'll wrap up with this. Look at changed lives. It's called the experiential set of evidences. You say, well, how, how do I know God exists? Well, look at all the lives that have been changed. I mean, God can, by the evidence of our changed lives, can be immediately known and experienced. Now, you can't see God, you can't touch God, but you can know God and experience him. You just cannot argue against personal experience. Now, I can disagree with your personal experience, but I can't argue it away. I can't say you did not experience that. Now, I can doubt it, and I can argue with you about it, and I can be like, oh, he's a little crazy. But I can't disprove your personal experience. It's your personal experience. Now, if it was just me, you could probably dismiss it. If it was just a handful of us, you might be going, mm, what did they uh, have for breakfast, right? But the untold millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people, century after century, millennia after millennia, all over the world, who basically experience the same thing. Their lives have been changed by the power of an almighty, eternal creator, God. That is mighty hard to dismiss. Because I don't remember going to a meeting where we all sat in a big room and said, okay, here's the story. We're all going to agree to dupe the rest of the world. Right? No. I got my experience. You got your experience. The, the, the untold masses of changed lives. Too many people to be dismissed. People like you and me. Have a hard time, have a hard time arguing away the existence of God and explaining all that. You say, well, listen, I got somebody in my life that just doesn't, they look at all this and they, they conclude differently. They look at all this and go, yeah, I see all that, but I still, by faith, whether they may not say that, but by faith, they still conclude God does not exist. What do I do? How do I talk with them? Well, the first thing, you don't argue with them. It doesn't help. Think dialogue, not debate. Dialogue, not debate. Now, I'm not talking about academic debate. You know, that's different. Very smart people do that, and they do it well, and it has a place and a purpose. I'm talking about don't stand in your backyard and go toe-to-toe with your neighbor over hot dogs. You just don't do it, right? Dialogue, ask questions, ask questions, answer questions, and allow God's Spirit to work in all of our lives as we go together on this journey of discovery of faith. And somebody might be thinking, well, what if we're wrong on this? You got to be able to ask that question. Scary question, right? Maybe you've never given yourself permission to ask that question. You need to ask it. What if we're wrong? What if there is no God? You know, faith can handle a question like that. Well, if we're wrong, we are wrong by faith. 
And if we're wrong in saying that God exists, then we've just ultimately chosen a different path from everybody else that says God does not exist. And what happens to one of us is going to happen to all of us. And we've just chosen a different path, albeit a, probably a better way of life. But I suggest to you that the evidence and the overwhelming amount of evidence suggests God very much exists. And his followers are not wrong. And there is so much to believe and so much to trust to prove just that. Let me pray for you. Pray for us. Father, thank you for the universe you created. And and I know that we don't understand it all, know it all, we can't prove it all, we can't see it all, but we see enough to look up. We see enough to know we didn't do this. We see enough to know that some power beyond us put all of this here for a purpose. The design, the order, the, the changed lives, the, the morality, all, all of it, the beauty, the, all of it just screams as evidence that you are there. And Father, I have questions. We all have questions. I still have so much I'm learning. May we bring our questions to you and to the evidence and then conclude based upon the evidence what seems to be so apparently obvious that you do exist. For those that still have doubts, help them bring their doubts and their questions. And may we learn together as we take our next steps towards you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in this vast universe. In Jesus' name, amen. Fantastic questions. I was backstage just watching them roll in. And again, I wish I had time to go through all of these. I really do. Uh, But I'm going to try to hit the high spots of the ones that have the most to do with what what we've talked about today. And a lot of these questions, too, we're going to talk about things in the next two weeks that answers some of these. So I'll, I'll reference that as I, as I can. And let me say again, like I did last week, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't know it all. Uh, I, I'm still a student. I'm still learning, just like you. But what I want to do is try to share with you what I have learned and what I am learning as we journey together. So uh, first question was interesting from Dustin in Jamestown. Thanks for being in Jamestown, Dustin. I was told not to ask you about cats. Why is that? Do you not believe in them? Yeah, but the laughter kind of lets you know that, and it's not that I don't believe in them. I mean, evil obviously exists in the world, <laughs> right? And so, the, you know, cats are there to remind us of that. So anyway, I'm just not a big fan. Um, here, here's a question I thought was a great question. Uh, Jennifer from Kernersville, how do you handle moral codes? Because we talked about the moral code that all of us have. How do you handle that when it's different? Like in some cultures, rape is accepted. Yes, there are examples where there are isolated instances where people have corrupted their culture so much they accept things specifically as okay, but what you have to do is look at the overall mass of humanity, right? Obviously, that's an exception. Obviously, that is a misguided exception. 
all of the masses together, we all agree. You can't do that. That is unacceptable. Now, you're going to have this outlier every now and then, you know, that's just going to be, you know, wanting to be different and wanting to do their own thing. But if you look at the averages overall, then you'll see that that moral code exists. Uh, Here's a great question. Pat from Kernersville, is the earth flat? Okay, and and let me tell you why I'm answering this question, because I get it a lot. There is a growing trend in the world where people are saying the earth is not round, the earth is flat, okay? And that all of the images we've seen from space is a conspiracy and all that. And don't don't laugh, because, I mean, we're we're back there. I mean, that's kind of where it started, right? And Columbus did not fall off, right? And I I don't want to make fun, but... Let me just give you this answer. The scriptures talk about the earth being round about 2,500 to 3,000 years before scientists discovered the earth was round. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, it says that God sits on the circle of the earth. It's poetry, but, but references the sphere of the earth, the circle of the earth. So food for thought. Caitlin from Kernersville says, is it okay to believe in both science and God and is it acceptable to question your faith? Yes, yes, and yes. Yes, you don't have to choose. Go, go back, uh, Caitlin, I'm not sure if you watched last week, but if you missed last week, go back and watch last week because we talked about the faith and science, when they're properly understood, do not contradict one another. When they are properly understood, they complement one another. And we all have doubts and we all have questions. All of us. I'm constantly asking things and learning. Uh, and so keep, keep doing that. And there's nothing wrong with those questions at all. It doesn't mean your faith is weak. It means you want your faith to grow. So that's a good thing. Uh, Olivia from Kernersville says, who created God? Where did God come from? Remember when we were talking about the uncaused cause? You cannot have an infinite series of causes when we're talking about the law of cause and effect. Eventually, you have to come to something that always existed that caused everything else. And atheistic evolutionists say the universe itself is eternal and caused itself. However, the evidence, when it is properly understood, suggests intelligent design that God is the uncaused cause, and God is eternal, and no one created God. And I know that kind of makes our brain short circuit because everything we know has a beginning and an end, except you would expect God to kind of be outside of everything we know and understand. It wouldn't be like us, and he's not limited by time. So God is eternal, has always existed. Nobody created God. All right, let's see. Let's get to this next question. Curtis from Kernersville, why do we assume God is a man? Oh, yeah. (laughs) On Mother's Day. Why do we assume that God is a man? God is not a man. God is not a man. All right, drop the mic. No, God is spirit. God does not have gender as we understand gender being male and female. God is a spirit. However, for whatever reason, and I have my opinions on it, and we can agree to disagree on this, but for whatever reason, and ultimately God only knows, he has chosen to reveal and communicate himself to humanity in terminology of a father. 
because it helps us understand better who God is and how he relates to humanity. So I hope that doesn't weird you out or freak you out or anything, okay? Um, But God has chosen to reveal himself to us in the concept and idea of a father. And yes, Jesus was a man. We do know that for sure. Uh, That's historically proven. But God is a spirit, by the way. Um, Let's see, that was number 34. Uh, Let's go to number 38 because it's a great one too. Anna asks, in any circumstance, can just the idea or concept of God be enough and keep someone from going to hell? Why don't you ask a hard one? Right? Oh my goodness, that's a tough question. Um, it's just the, in other words, it's just the idea of God. If you just believe in God, is that enough? This kind of sets us up for next week, and then I'm going to ask uh, answer one more question, probably the biggest one. But next week we're going to talk about um, how people get really skeptical when you say that Jesus is the only way to God. That seems seems sums up with that when you just say that. Really? Is that true? How do we know? Right? And so, is it enough for people on the earth just to believe in the concept of God? Or is it necessary? Is it necessary for people to embrace Jesus as Savior? Now, we're going to dive into that next week. So, I'm going to withhold answer on that one. So, I don't mean to tease, but I need to tease for next week and say come back next week and we'll dive into it but let me let me finish with the biggest question the biggest question and it's the biggest question because it's the number one question that people ask when it comes to the existence of God and that causes them to doubt the existence of God hands down the number one question Uh, for instance like in the Thursday night service in Kernersville I got this question five times uh, and and I've lost count how many times it's come up today in this current service from Kernersville. Elijah was the first one to ask it today in Kernersville, um, but it's come in from Oak Ridge. It's come in from Jamestown and online. Um, we, we get this question all the time or some form of it. If God is real, why does he allow bad things to happen? Or why does he allow, sometimes people say, bad things to happen to good people? Well, let me have you just think a minute. What do you mean by good? Do you mean you? Me? I mean, the person that's asking the question always assumes that they're in the good category, right? And at least they're good enough to should be exempt from whatever pain that's causing them to ask the question. If God is real, then why does he allow bad things to happen? We're assuming First of all, that we're good enough to be exempt from all bad things. That's a pretty big assumption. That's a pretty proud and arrogant position to take. The second thing is that we're also assuming that everything that's painful is bad and that all suffering is bad and that only things that feel good are good and anything that feels bad cannot be good. It's got to be bad. So if God is good and God is loving, why does he let things that feel bad happen? Wouldn't it just be only good? Where you're assuming that all bad, I mean, all, all things that are bad are bad. Sometimes things that are painful are very good. You know this. I'm going to say something. You finish it. You can finish it with whatever you want. No pain, no gain. How'd you know that? No pain, no gain, right? Some, some crazy coach said that one time eons ago. 
and now it's into everything. Right? No pain, no gain. We know that some things that are painful are necessary and good in order for gain. It's Mother's Day weekend, and all of you moms have had the experience of taking your precious gifts from God, those precious little babies of yours, to the doctor and letting them stick sharp metal objects in their arms, legs, and buttocks. It's called immunizations, right? Vaccines. You do that. Not vaccines. That's for an animal, isn't it? I don't know. I get those mixed up. A shot. And it hurt, right? And my family is a little bit different. Donna would send me with the girls. You take them to get their shots and then bring them home to me. You know, and I'm like, that is so wrong. Because they would look at me like, what did you let them do to me? It's the silent cry. You know, the mouth comes open and nothing happens. And then, ah! and then they're shaking, right? Why would we do that on purpose? Because we know a little bit of pain saves them from a disease that's a lot more painful later. Sometimes pain has a purpose. Sometimes pain is a good thing. And I want to just have you consider one more thing. Jesus Christ, perfect. Never did anything wrong. Never said anything wrong. Never thought anything wrong. The Son of God, God in flesh and bone. Jesus Christ, the perfect and only perfect person who has ever lived. So the best possible person who has ever lived on the face of the earth is Jesus Christ. And Jesus died the most horrible death that has ever been experienced by any man, woman, boy, or girl in that he died on a cross and was crucified for your sins and my sins, and he was perfect. He was perfect. So the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. You have a question. The question is, why do bad things, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Well, he let the worst possible thing happen to the best possible person, which just happened to be his own son. And that's a good thing. And we celebrate that. And by the way, that's why we're gathered in churches. That's why we're watching online. That's why we're meeting in high schools and elementary schools. This is why we do what we do the way we do it is because of what Jesus did for us. And that is represented by when he gave his life as the best possible person that has ever lived, died the most horrible death that has ever been experienced. The worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. So I'm, now, now hang with me. We ought to be thankful that sometimes bad things happen to very good people. Because without it, we'd be doomed. Because Jesus wouldn't have died. And we wouldn't have hope. So hopefully, that'll help. Listen, again, keep asking the questions. Keep asking them. They're fantastic. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus being the only way to God. And when you say that, it makes people skeptical. It makes you feel like, really? That's awful narrow-minded. That seems a little arrogant. What about that? And what about all the people that have never heard about Jesus? What about all the... we got lots of questions about that kind of thing today, and we're going to talk about it next week, and we'll do the Q&A again, so be ready with your questions and bring somebody with you. We'll have a great time. Thanks for coming. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>